Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion. And because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 374 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers, here as always with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Well, I'm okay. But before we got on the mic, I had to make an emergency run to Meyer to purchase fly spray because overnight my house was infested with flies. Like, are we talking like house flies or like fruit flies? Like house flies. Like house flies, but there were in such numbers. As to be very disturbing. Oh, like a horror movie or something. Like, is there a, like a, much like a horror movie? Carcass? Yes. Well, and I'm looking <laughs> around, I'm like, I don't see any signs of like, I don't know, decay or uh, I'm not sure. Like, the trash has been taken out. The sink does not have rotting food in it. I can't like identify the source. Um, but, you know, I have that sunroom. And so they all really, you know, turns out flies really like light. So they flocked to the sunroom and they're. Ugh, they're everywhere. Mm. It reminded me a little bit of a picture that you took where yeah. bir- like birds pooped all over your car in such numbers that I feel like that picture gave me immediate uh, like panic feelings. Yeah. And yes. And so anyway, that's where I'm at. Like okay. just I, I sprayed them and I hung up the sticky things. And I'm just hoping that when I emerge from our recording session that they will all have just disappeared, but that's not, they're going to die and be like stuck to things. And in the window cells, that's what's going to actually happen. I they're mean, still going to have to be dealt with. Okay. Not to take this too far off the rails, which is we've already done, but like, could it be listeners plug your ears? If you're, if you're like super grossed out by this, but could there have been a, um, litter of a birthing? Yes. Like a, a that's hatching? what it looks like. No, that's what it looks like. There was a hatching somewhere, uh, but I have absolutely no idea where, where were the larvae? Yeah. So I don't even, yeah, the, the, the bird poop story isn't worth going into, but where did I put, I didn't even post that publicly. Did I just send it to our team? No, 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Happy summer, everyone. <laughs> Happy summer. But you know, I guess because this is a listener question to tie it back to that, since this is a listener question episode, maybe somebody can give me some host answers about what to do about a fly infested. Maybe, yeah, maybe we have a, like a pest control person yeah, or like a scientist of some kind. Um, we're just rewatching the last season of Schitt's Creek and there's a funny storyline where Ted is in the Galapagos and he's always talking about like discovering a new species of fly larva or yes. whatever. So anyway, <laughs> that's my day. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. Uh, we have listener questions, as you alluded to, Megan, and our advice answers uh, for you all today. Just on Sunday, you heard us talk about giving advice and receiving advice and how we're not terribly uh, naturally drawn to either one. And yet here we are here to give yeah. um, solicited advice where you have sent in your questions, parenting challenges, and we'll weigh in as best we can. Often it's a version of like, that sounds really hard. That sounds really normal. It's probably all going to be more validating okay. than yeah. actual advice. Yeah, yeah. listener validation. And I don't believe any of them have to do with larvae or infestations <laughs> of any sort. Thank goodness. Which is good because evidently I have no idea how to deal with that. So <laughs> thank goodness. There is a little twist, though, a little um, addition to today's episode, which is that we've been wanting to do this for a little while, but we threw a few of the listener questions that came in to our contributor team because we have these wonderful moms writing and helping us come up with content for the podcast and the blog. Um, and that who have become part of our team, many of whom have different life experiences, kids of different ages than we do. And like us, they are not experts. They're just real moms making their way through. And so in a couple of cases, both this week and next week, You'll get to hear our thoughts and advice, but also some wise words from members of our contributor team. So, Megan, I'm excited about that little piece. Me too. And it, it's, you know, you and I can only answer and only speak to what we can speak to, right? So it's always great to bring in some fresh perspectives. Agreed. Sarah, our sponsor, Vionic, is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip-On Flat and your Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah. And let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. We are welcoming back Olive and June as a sponsor. And Megan, I'm so excited about this partnership because with spring right around the corner, I love refreshing the little things in my life, including my manicure. I am the biggest fan of doing my nails at home instead of at a salon because it's convenient, so much cheaper at just $2 a mani, and the results can't be beat. It all begins with Olive and June. Yeah, Olive and June's mani system has everything you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. These are professional tools designed just for DIY. 
A couple of the items included are their best-selling poppy, which makes it so easy to brush on a smooth coat, even with your non-dominant hand, which you do have to use about half the time, it turns out, <laughs> and their award-winning cuticle serum, which is so nourishing and a finishing touch I love. Well, I've been a big fan of their quick dry polish for a while now. It seriously dries in about a minute, making it perfect for busy moms. Visit oliveandjune.com slash the mom hour for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first Manny system. Okay, Sarah, our first question is from Sarah without an H. Without an H. So Sarah says, um, this is Sarah from Indianapolis. She has three kids, ages six, four, and two. And her question is, how do you handle situations where you go to do, quote, fun activities, unquote, with one or some of the kids, but not all of them. And she throws out during a school day, for example. She says, my oldest will find out about something we did while he was at school and feel left out. I never broadcast it in order to shield him from feeling left out. But also, I would never ask the others to keep information from each other. Also, good luck with that. Uh, so she says, thanks for all you do. Sarah, I feel like this is a question that you're going to have something to say about. I mean, I read this and I was like, oh, this is this has been my life. Well, I have kids of that same age spacing, but now they are 14, 12 and nine and a half. And I would say we still deal with this. It's very different from when they were six, four and two. So Sarah, my advice is not going to be like anything practical or tactical, but as usual, first to normalize that, like, if you have multiple children and especially if you have, I would say three or more, because there's something about two that's like, great, take turns or like even it out. There's some, the math gets increasingly difficult as you go more than two. And that's not to say that this doesn't happen with, you know, a pair of siblings, but certainly in my experience, there's no getting around it. It will happen. You cannot provide the same amount of enrichment, enjoyment, entertainment, ice cream, um, stops at the dollar store, like whatever is deemed to be fun and exciting. You cannot possibly hope to dole it out in equal measure from now until your kids are, you know, 20, 22 and 24. It's not going to happen. So I think making peace with the fact that this is like, one of the challenges of having three kids kind of close together is that their job is to sort of um, jockey for that position in the sibling trio. And they're going to do it in different unflattering ways over time. And, and my kids absolutely will say, well, so-and-so got to do this today. So why didn't I, and it's just been a part of my reality now for, you know, since I was in your stage. So for seven years, Um, I think it's smart not to try to ask the kids to like, don't tell your brother that we went to Starbucks while he was at school. I think that's probably wise. And I also think it's wise to set the example of not holding it, like not, um, being like, guess what? Gloating. Go to Starbucks. Like, (laughs) I think you're already kind of in that middle space. Um, I will say proactive one-on-one time is like when you read the parenting books, there's a reason that comes up again and again and again, because kids whose cup has been a little bit filled by a little bit of one-on-one time with um, parents are just, they're just starting off. They're not starting off in that depleted place. I always give that advice with like a huge heap of 
grace because it's hard to be carving out one-on-one time for your kids in a global pandemic when you have three young children. So I know it's hard. I do think it is a good, a good proactive strategy. Um, and just remember that like one-on-one special time doesn't have to look like taking a kid to the movies and ice cream. It can just be grabbing one kid and going on an errand and letting them pick the music in the car or like stopping and, um, you know, swinging on the swings for 10 minutes at the park after the errand. It can be really, really simple. So I think some proactive one-on-one time, some being honest and matter of fact, as you like, as you let them feel their unfair feelings and not let it get to you as in now it's my job to provide in equal measure this fun, but I'm just going to let them feel like life's unfair because that's part of being a sibling. Um, and then work on that proactive one-on-one time. I feel like that was, that was, there was not that much in there, Megan. Well, so one thing I would like to say is that I feel like where Sarah is right now with kids ages six, four, and two is in a particularly hot spot for this kind of unfair feeling. First of all, the kid who's in school all day is outnumbered by the two that are home. Um, the kids that is the kid that is in school also is young enough to really remember what it was like to kind of, I don't know, have the day a little bit free mm-hmm. and be freewheeling and going and doing fun stuff with mom. So there may be uh, some nostalgia, some jealousy at play about like just kind of remembering like what that was like yeah. and wishing and some in some way they were still there. Um, four and two are at the ages where you can literally be doing a lot of fun stuff all the time. So yeah. like it might look like your home life with the four and two year old is just a never ending roller coaster, like a circus, <laughs> a yeah. carnival of fun. And six-year-olds are not the most reliable narrator. Like they don't like they don't have a great amount of perspective about the fact that they get to go off to school all day and do really fun stuff yeah. that their younger siblings yes. are probably jealous of. Mm-hmm. So they don't have that perspective. All they're seeing is like, I wish I was still four and yeah. got to go, you know, to the um playground in the middle of the day with mom, like I used to. And so I will say. I think you're in a particular spot right now where it's probably the height of this. And I do wonder if having like eventually two in school might change that dynamic a little bit where they'll get over themselves a bit because now it's not like two younger ones who get to have fun all day with mom and one at school. It'll be two at school. And like the focus will start to come off the youngest. That was my my experience at least that as the older ones, as more and more of them went to school, they stopped worrying about so much about what the youngest one or two was yeah. doing at home yeah. without them. So it's all very recent. Like a, a six-year-old's probably in first grade. They haven't been in school that long. Right. Um, and so even besides like, you know, if we're talking about like the school year, that imbalance, they may need a little gentle reminder like, oh, you know, but sometimes the four-year-old is really jealous because you get to go to art and music and you get to go hang out with your friends all day. And sometimes I feel like kids at that age just kind of need a little bit of a reset, like a little reminder that they have it pretty great too. So that's all I'd add to that. Um, Otherwise I think that the um, proactive filling of the cup is, is really smart. I, I, I find myself doing exactly what you're saying still with Violet when she wants to be older and wants or finds out that the kids got to stay up late. Like right now, a big thing in our house is she's kind of the only one with like a real little kid bedtime still. So she'll find out that the other four of us, two parents and two teens 
stayed up to watch something and she'll be like, but I didn't get to stay up and watch something. And I'll be like, well, you also like don't have two hours of homework a night. And with her, I can just kind of have fun with it. But just a reminder that like there are pros and cons that come with every age. And I think you're exactly right with a six year old in school, like just a, a gentle reframing of all the cool things that you do get to do being the oldest, the first one to like get to go to a sleepover or get to go to grandma and grandpa's house all by yourself. And like, I don't think kids usually receive it well if we hammer that home like they can't they don't we've talked about this a lot on the show. They they don't have enough perspective to have perspective, but little gentle reminders that are that they can see right in front of them, I think are are great. Um, Yeah. And I would also add that as they get older, this has come up with my kids a lot. um, Sometimes it's fun stuff that some get to do. Sometimes it's not fun stuff like Mm -hmm. chore, like additional chores and things like that. I try to remind them each, and this is hard to do with little kids, but I think it gets easier as they get older that they each are going to have the same 18 years. Yes. As children. Yes. Like they each get that. It's just that they don't all get it at the same time. So while one kid is getting to go off and do that fun stuff and the younger doesn't get to do that yet, they'll eventually get there. Just like the older kid has responsibilities that they didn't have when they right. were two years old or four years old or whatever. So I think that sometimes like just going, you know, you all you all have this childhood, right? Yep. And it's going to play out this way for all of you just at different times. And sometimes that's hard. It's hard to not be in the place where the other kids are and seeing what you're missing out on. And I am a youngest and I remember very clearly laying in my bed at night (laughs) when it was light out, Mm -hmm. listening to my family watch TV in the other room and just feeling like the world would never understand how hard it was to be me. Right. But then my older siblings would be like, yeah, but you get away with murder. You get to do everything. You don't have any chores. And so then I got to like kind of live in that little high spot of life too. So yeah. I love that. Um, you all get the same 18 years or maybe not the exact same, but you all, you all get this trajectory of what it's like to be a child in our family, in our house. It's just, you're not on the same, you're, you're staggered in terms of your starts. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. I, one thing I find myself saying a lot, especially with the little stuff, like, you know, we stopped and we got smoothies, but some, someone else was at play practice and didn't get one. Like that's the stuff that where I am right now, where it's like, come on guys. Like it all right. evens out in the end. And that's Pull what I together. say. Like I yeah. say it all evens out in the end. Like we could keep a tally of everybody who got a, a random smoothie on a Tuesday afternoon. Cause we were running errands and then the people who didn't. And I promise you when you like graduate from this house, it's going to be pretty close in the end. Yep. It all evens yep. out in the end. It just didn't even out today. So, and if you came out and you're 18 and you have a smoothie deficiency, you are welcome to go just get as many smoothies as you want. I will even buy you a couple. Just like get it together. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm going to read a question that came in from Annie who says she loves the podcast. She discovered us in 2020 when she was up all night rocking her newborn and haven't, hasn't missed an episode since. So by my math, that means she's got like a little over two-year-old, maybe two and a half-year-old. And Annie's question is, do you have tips for finding mom friends quickly in a new city. The background is we're moving in a few weeks to a totally new area of the country for my husband's medical fellowship. We're both doctors, but I'm taking the year off as we'll be in the city only for a year and finding childcare or a temporary job or getting licensed, et cetera, was going to be so difficult. 
I want to cultivate meaningful relationships and fill my days as a new stay-at-home mom, but I recognize how hard this might be with only 365 days to do so. Thanks for any advice. And that's Annie from Memphis, or maybe not from Memphis anymore, depending on where the move is. <laughs> right. I mean, oh my gosh. So I moved a lot of times. I thought as, you might uh, be able to jump yeah. in here. Yeah. Yeah. As a young mom. Um, and I, my last move was when I was pregnant with Clara. So I have been in this situation. I've been in this situation with like no contacts at all. Um, I've been in the situation with people that I do know and like trying to kind of move into their networks and then realizing their networks weren't for me. So I, Annie, I, I totally feel you, but we've got some great responses um, from contributors, Katie and Stacy. Um, and I think they're like more in the situation where they're in it right now. And my, and I'm looking way back in the rear view. So we will let them respond. So first, you will hear from Katie on our team. Hi, Annie. I was 100% in the same boat as you when we moved from Boston to Chicago with our baby. And it's, it's tough. It can be really intimidating to meet mom friends quickly in a new city. What helped tremendously for me was joining Meetup. So I think most major cities and probably even smaller communities as well, have meetup groups. I was able to find a stay-at-home mom group for my city. And multiple times a week, I would sign up to go to events, meet up, do activities, host activities, find things with kids the same age as me. And it was a great way to develop like a really core group of friends who had um, kids the same age as me. Uh, if that's not an option for you, another option is to look at what's happening um, in your community on like a hyper local, uh, in a hyper local way. So your library, your park, any other activities that are like mom and toddler, especially if they're happening in the middle of the day, it's probably going to be a lot of other stay at home parents. And then try to stick to a routine because if you start going to the same places at the same times on the same days, you will start to see the same faces. And I feel like that just makes it that much easier to introduce yourself, say hi, um, ask if they want to go, you know, go to the park afterwards or grab a coffee or just exchange phone numbers and maybe you can meet up another time. Um, but I hope that this helps. Good luck. So I have to say, I love this advice um, from Katie, but I actually used Meetup myself a long, long time ago. It's been around. It's been like a tried and true friend maker. And I feel like I used Meetup maybe 15 yeah. years ago. So I was going to say, more. Um, I have a very specific memory of Meetup because, you know, Megan, how I've said on the show that I was very slow to like, I was, I was very kind of scared of making internet stranger friends in the early days. And I know a lot of people were, but I specifically remember being so desperate for new mom friends that I was looking at meetup groups in Scottsdale when I was a brand new mom. And then I ended up kind of finding my people through another, like through the hospital moms group. But that's how, that's how much I wanted friends is I was like, okay, I'm, I think I'm ready to like meet strangers on the internet. And that, that would have right. been 2008. <laughs> so yeah, 14. Yeah. Yeah. 14 years ago. Yeah. Well, great tips. Let's also hear from Stacy. Hi, Annie. This is Stacy, and I have a couple tips for making new friends. I moved to the area that I live in now 
nine years ago from a city and now I live in a very rural area. And so making friends is a challenge just in the sense that there's not a lot of people around. But I was working in town at the time and a woman came up to me at work and she complimented me on what I was wearing. And I know that seems silly, but I just feel like her willingness to go first was something that we needed to break the ice. And nine years later, she's one of my best friends. And now we both have three kids that are all fairly close in age. So that would be my first tip is to go first. If you're at the library or at the park to maybe if you're like me and an introvert and it seems scary to put yourself out there and to go first, that there's likely a woman that feels the same way as you and is looking for friendship, but just someone needs to take that first step. My second tip would be to join a mom's group. When I had my first baby, someone recommended mops to me, mothers of preschoolers. And I looked up online and there wasn't a mops in my area. So I decided to start a mops group, which I am not recommending that you do that. I know you're moving to this area for a short period of time, but because you are in such an urban area, there are likely to be many options and it wouldn't have to be mops. There could be other mom groups to join, but it's just an easy way to connect with women on a regular basis. And you know, you'll see them the same time each month, maybe twice a month or whenever they meet. So those are my tips would be to go first and put yourself out there and to find a mom group and hopefully you'll find someone to connect with sooner than later. So I love Stacy's tip to like kind of have a little icebreaker. I know those can be, I don't know, embarrassing is the wrong word, but awkward, I guess. Um, but they really do work. Like we all want to connect with each other, yeah. right? So sometimes we just need an excuse or a reason or... or some in like a little crack. Um, so I loved that. I loved it too. I think after listening to Katie and Stacy, the only thing I would add for Annie is something that she wrote in her email. And maybe I'm just flagging this, like maybe I'm making it mean more than it is, but she says, I want to cultivate meaningful relationships and fill my days as a new stay at home mom. And my first thought was like, oh, Annie, it's just a year and you're still like you have a toddler. So I would just also encourage you to not have expectations that are so lofty for this year that you'll um, that it'll be an obstacle to just making a few acquaintances. Do you know what I mean? I think sometimes, especially with a move, and I'm sure you and I have both done this, Megan, we we like have these grand visions for this new person. We're going to be in the new house, in the new town. Like I'm going to be the mom who goes to yoga every day and I'm going to do this. And I can also see coming out of medical training, I'm going to assume, Annie, that you have not had a lot of time to yourself in the last like 10 years. So I can I can see myself being like, oh, my gosh, a whole year. I'm going to take a break from work. I'm going to make all these friends. So just a gentle reminder that like you don't know what the coming year has in store for you. It could bring some of the most meaningful relationships you have in your entire life or it could be a bunch of like slightly awkward playgroups that still add together to, I don't know, add color to this year and it'll still be part of your story. So yeah. I guess that's a little caution against assuming that a year off of work in a new city is automatically going to mean deep, meaningful friendships. It might, but it might not. And that might be okay too. Well, and I think it depends a lot on what means meaningful to Annie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she might find again, if she's like an extrovert and a social butterfly type, she might find like, it just makes a lot of sense to buzz around and meet a lot of people and have some fun, you know, mm-hmm. play the field a little bit. And, and then at the end of the year, be like, okay, that was great. I mean, I remember um, having years where I was in a new town with, you know, little kids and had fun, I would say meaningful friendships, but they weren't lasting. And I knew mm-hmm. they weren't going to last. And I knew they were for a season and that was great. And they like, they did their job. Right. Um, there's been other times of my life where I've really craved deep friendships. And, and those are going to be a lot harder to kind of make happen in a temporary and quick way. So yeah, kind of like looking at your needs and maybe not, um, maybe not expecting so much of yourself, but like more, more coming at it with like, what do I need? Like what would make this year really good for me, you know, and, and, um, give me what I need. Yeah. 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 It is a, it's an interesting friendship conundrum to think about um a a finite year where you know you're going to be moving away um and I'm just thinking about our military families and other like other families who move around a lot I I would imagine there are very like specific social (laughs) strategies that one uses whether you know you're using them or not it's like you do want to get in there quick you want to skip the like skip the getting to know you part make some meaningful connections but then you also know that you're leaving so i guess yeah. thank goodness for the internet and we do have ways to stay in touch with if you find some gems annie there is also ways to stay in touch with them after you leave so yeah yeah best of luck sarah our sponsor haya is back on the show today and i just really love this company typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise they're filled with two teaspoons of sugar unhealthy chemicals and other gummy junk most parents don't really want their growing kids eating that's why haya the pediatrician approved super powered chewable vitamin was created that's right megan haya fills in the most common gaps in modern kids diets to provide the full body nourishment they need and haya vitamins have a yummy taste kids love too So we were just talking to Katie on our team, Megan, and she was saying that when they get down toward the bottom of the high vitamin bottle, her boys are fighting over who gets the last one. Oh, I love it. And I also love that Katie can feel good about that, right? Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door. So parents never need to worry about running out. And we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash mom hour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, let's listen to a question that Kylie sent in and we get to hear her voice. So we'll play Kylie's question now. Hi, Sarah and Megan. My name is Kylie and I am a mom of two young boys, ages five and three and calling with a general question. I often feel that I bear the responsibility of keeping the morale of our family up. My husband gets moody, my boys get moody, and it is on me to remain optimistic and try to keep everyone moving forward. I recently watched in horror 
as the same pattern emerged with my own parents. They were taking my boys camping and my mom was chipper, picking them up, very excited. And my dad was in a nasty mood, stressed because they had to pack the car. Does this ever stop? Is this present in families beyond my own? And do you have suggestions for how a mom can maintain her sanity? Should I try to stay optimistic or should I just let everything go? (laughs) Thanks for any thoughts you might have. Okay, Kylie, this is such a big question that I feel like we could do a whole episode Uh about this. Um, It's so much of it. Like, okay, first of all, I am often in the position that you're in. And when I was married, it was particularly difficult because not only was I dealing with my kids' moods, but I was often dealing with my spouse's mood. And it's kind of like, let's separate these two things out. First of all, there's the assumption that mom sets the tone, which is a lot of emotional labor, Mm -hmm. right? And then there's the assumption that the optimistic person in the family, like the one who's more likely to be cheerful, is like kind of required to keep everyone's mood up. Mm -hmm. And when both of those people are mom, like when the optimistic person is also mom, that creates a lot of obligation and work. Mm -hmm. But when mom is not the most naturally optimistic person, it creates a weird expectation she can never meet. So it's like, it's all rotten. Yeah. (laughs) All around. Like no matter what, if you're in a position where you're looking around and going like, man, everyone's grumpy or moody. And it's kind of like, I'm a positive person. It's my job to keep everyone up. That's a lot. And if you're not a naturally optimistic person and you feel like it's your job to keep everybody up, it's even more. So I'm not sure. um, I'm not sure how to answer this except to say, yes, this is present in families beyond your own. Um, Does it ever stop? I think it gets better. I do think it gets better. I don't have the same, well, I'm not married anymore, so that might have something to do with it. But like, I don't <laughs> feel like I have the same, um, like the bickering and nastiness that you're kind of like describing. I don't have as much of that with my older kids, but I do experience it sometimes. And then like uh, suggestions for how a mom can maintain her sanity. I don't know, Sarah, help me out here. Well, let me jump in and let's get real explicit about our own families for a second. So the way you laid it out, like in those kind of two scenarios in your when you were married and had a bunch of little kids, you're saying you had the more naturally less moody. Can we say less moody? You were the less moody personality. And I was mom. (laughs) You were the mom. So, okay, so that was your in my situation, I would say I am the grumpier naturally. Mm -hmm. I mean, that doesn't mean I am always grumpy, but I am married to someone who's extremely optimistic and sunny and even tempered, even keeled. Thank goodness. So of the two of us, I am more likely to get grumpy. I don't think moody is really a word that describes me, but I can get irritable and I can get, I can lose my optimism, but I am also the mom. So we like, we have those like two different. So I guess we are different and our families are different. One thing I have observed is even though I might be more prone to my own grumpiness, I am also more emotionally attuned to the moods of my children. So while my partner is sunny and optimistic, he is sometimes clueless or later to the party in terms of noticing. (laughs) That's a very generous way to put it. Noticing 
emotional dynamics within the family. Now, that could be a great strategy for him. I don't even know if that's a criticism. Maybe I am hypervigilant. Not maybe. For sure, I am hypervigilant about other people's moods, even though I am maybe the one who needs the attitude adjustment the most. So I guess, first of all, Kylie, to answer your question, is this present in other families? I mean, I think, yes, absolutely. There is a dynamic where mom feels tuned into the emotional landscape around her and feels somehow responsible for like moving. Like, I think she used in her message, I think she used the phrase moving forward or moving everybody forward. And that is such a mom thing, I think. And yeah. I'm sure there are co-parents and dads who take on that role, too. So obviously we know we're generalizing, but there's something about like the the moving everybody forward is such the things that moms have to do no matter what, no matter who's in a bad mood, no matter who didn't sleep last night. So I just fully empathize and recognize that pattern. I think it's fascinating, Kylie, that you noticed it in your family of origin like that. I, I do think that as we become adults and as we parent our kids, but we are still our parents' kids. I think there's so much fascinating stuff that comes out. And so I guess just high five for noticing it in your own family. High five for noticing this generationally. And I guess if I have a nugget of advice, um, I know we're like a broken record with our yoga and our therapy talk lately, Megan, but um, finding the ways for you to be okay no matter what's going on around you. And I don't mean putting blinders on and ignoring other people um, because that's not healthy either. But I mean, you don't, I think the goal, I'll speak for myself instead of saying you, like my goal is to be able to find my happy place, my calm, my -hmm. enjoyment, um, interdependent of those around me so that I am not codependently relying on other people to be in a healthy space for me to have a good day. And that is like, that is hard work. Like that is why we pay therapists a lot of money. That's why we do like read a lot of books. Like that's hard work as adults. Yeah. And I think it's also okay to point out to your spouse when they're bringing everyone down. I mean, I've definitely dealt with that in my marriage um, where it was like, I feel like now we're all walking on eggshells around. It's it go it can be it can go beyond like prickly or grumpy and turn into something much more like dra- like dragging the mood down. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that Kylie sees that happen with her husband and also saw it happen with her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is it really okay for anyone to be like in a nasty mood? I don't know. Like it's everyone's allowed to be grumpy sometimes, but there's like a fine line and without knowing what, you know, exactly what Kylie was experiencing, it's hard to say which one or the other. Um, but like sometimes there's just no call for other people, other adult people's behavior Yeah, and it can be called out. Like, I think that it's okay to do that. Like, Hey, I need help here. Uh, I can't be the only one keeping a smile on my face or trying to keep, and your mood is catchy. Like Mm -hmm. the kids are picking up on it. I think it's okay to point that out. Um, it may not go over well necessarily, but I think it's okay for, for your own self-protection and your own self-care. Yes. And as someone who has had that, had been called out on that, like multiple times in the last (laughs) six months, um, I will say it doesn't always go over well in the moment, but 
um, it is something that I have recognized I can work on in a more holistic way. Like I can have a goal for this week or this month to really make sure I'm managing my mood so that I'm not bringing my family down. It's, it's hard if you're already in it to snap out of it, I guess, which, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. I don't know that we're going to be able to offer like really good advice, except that it's okay to be, it's okay to be grumpy about how cheerful you're expected to be. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay for that to feel like a burden and for that to feel like a lot of emotional labor. Um, it is, it is emotional labor and I wish I could say it's not your job. Um, but it's partly your job. It just shouldn't be only your job. Yeah. And that's where I think, I do think mom's mood sets the tone of the household, but so does the co-parent, right? Yeah. So like any adult in the house, everybody's mood sets the tone mm-hmm. in a household. Um, and I think moms unfairly take on a lot of the burden of keeping everything moving forward and keeping everything light and cheerful and optimistic. And we're not all suited to that A and B, even if we are, that doesn't mean it's fair for it to always be our job. Well, and, and let's like, let's just unpack that last part a little bit, because I know this question isn't about mental load and emotional labor exactly. But I just had a conversation with my spouse last night, probably not the best time, like right before falling asleep, about that quantity of details that still in a even in a very egalitarian partnership are assumed to be mine and mine alone. And this was loosely regarding a kid getting ready to go to camp and things like forms and packing lists and things like that. And. I think that one buffer or one proactive measure um, in this soup that we're talking about is to be really, really honest with yourself about how much you're taking on in that realm of what else do we call that when it's like it's mental load, but it's also like administrative dead dead weight, like the, the invisible, the invisible labor. That's I knew there was one more phrase in addition to mental load. Like that invisible workload, um, if that is not shared, I don't even know if 50 50 is possible, but like if it's not even shared a little bit, I think it's so invisible that it just makes that unfairness on mom to be the one moving things forward that there's no like there's no room. There's no margin for spillover. Does that even make sense? I know we're supposed to be talking about mood management, but like. That kind of, but it all goes together. It all goes together. Exactly. And, and you might find your, you may be an optimistic person generally who hits a breaking point um, because of the load that's on you. I, I can be that like, I'm very, I'm a very cheerful, even keeled person, pretty chill almost all the time, but on almost every like long road trip or uh, something that just requires a lot of yeah, like a lot of invisible labor, a lot of organizing, a lot of yeah. anticipating. I will hit my breaking point. And then it's like the kids all look at me like they're uh, terrified because when mom loses it, what hope do we have? Right. Like, because I just never do. And then when right. I do, it's like everyone looks at me like, oh, like I'm a, you know, a bomb about to go off. And that, and that's kind of humiliating too, you know, like that. And then that makes me even moodier. So it's not like I never lose it. It's just that when I do, it's because the pile on. Yep has become too much. 
um, and having a partner who's sort of clueless or grumpy for without cause, mm-hmm. um, who isn't holding up that share of the load. It's like almost even it's like adding insult to injury. Well, at I that was going to say that would be insulting. And so yeah. <laughs> on in our house with the opposite dynamic. Uh, The sunny person is also the person who gets to be sunny because they don't have much of that invisible labor to worry about. So then Mm -hmm. then the resentment is like, wouldn't it be so nice to just think about the fun stuff all the time? (laughs) So like you're you're darned if you do, darned if you don't. Like I, I, I know we're like, I don't know. I I hope this doesn't come across as throwing my co-parent under the bus because you know him, Megan, and um, listeners well, I don't think that's know your him. intent. No. But like, yeah, every, everybody's dealing with this for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we have um kind of a fun little different question from Sherry that came in that I am going to read because it is for you, Megan. Oh, yay. Okay. Okay, Sherry says, hi, I've been listening for a year or so, and I'm curious about Megan's history and journey to becoming a mom of five kids. I know she became a mom at a very young age. Did she marry the father of her first child and then decide to have four more kids with him? So Sherry is wondering about, like, I guess, your journey to early motherhood, Megan. And um, she says, I'm sorry if the backstory has already been shared, but I'd love to hear details. And that made both of us think, oh, yeah, like that's probably not something that I don't talk about it very often, about, not yeah. because I have any problem talking about it. It's just it's so far in the rearview mirror now. And I just assume everyone knows. And so sometimes I'm like, you know, I used to write about it a lot on my blog. But yeah. if you found me through the podcast and have you know never read any of my writing about it, you probably wouldn't know. So you even had published. Um, I feel like I read like published magazine articles about some yes. of some of oh, this yeah. journey that you wrote about. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, for sure. So. um, I, yeah, I was in college, my second year of college, and I got pregnant. Um, I was 19. And John and I, that was the father of all, all of my kids, got married that summer. So, Sarah, I want to, I want to say my 25th wedding anniversary would have been like a week ago or something like that. Like, yeah. So 25 years ago, I was pregnant with Jacob. And then um, I did go on to have four more kids with John. Now, interestingly, he and I divorced more than once. We actually divorced and got back together. So, but we had a good run. <laughs> like, so we divorced when Isaac was little, got back together when William was right around when William was born, like remarried when William was born. And then we were, and then we had two more kids after that. So yes. Um, and then we were married for another Oh my gosh. After we got remarried, we were married for like 15 more years or something. A long time, a long time. Um, maybe even longer than that. I'd have to do the math. So yeah, in some ways it looked like a very traditional family. Um, but it started early and there were some bumps and the bumps never fully smoothed out. I guess I would say a lot of that did inform, you know, like everything having kids so young informed the, my career. Um, informed the way I approached motherhood and wrote about motherhood and then like, you know, more recently podcast about motherhood and everything else. So it's, it's definitely a big part of my story. And I have a lot of, I don't know, empathy and like rah, rah, protective Mm -hmm. feelings about young moms. Uh, I, I know it's a hard road to go down. It's not culturally accepted. Mm hmm. Often, um, I can be very defensive 
on behalf of young moms who people don't think they're spending their time, you know, the way they should be in their twenties. And I actually am very grateful. I, I think in a lot of ways, had I not had kids so young, I don't know that I would have done much of worth in my twenties. I was not like on an amazing path to greatness. I was kind of bumbling along, not doing a whole lot. And becoming a mom was like very grounding for me. So, um, so I, I really love that. That's the trajectory that I ended up on. And I love hearing other young mom stories. Yeah. Well, I love that you got to share that. So thank you, Sherry, for asking the question. Um, we know that people come into this community, like at all different points and it is a little like weird from the chairs where we sit to not know if the people listening, like you know, some people tell us, oh my gosh, I've devoured every episode. Like I've like, I follow you on Instagram. I feel like I know yeah. you and other people are just popping in. Right. And we don't want to be like a broken record repeating right. the same stories over and over, but it is fun to be able to. Yeah. Nor do we one. expect people to like memorize our biographies, but, um, I think nope. it feels, it feels good to be asked about your story. So I'm glad you got to yeah. share that. All right. Well, we have another listener questions episode coming up next week. If you're new around here, we typically do these in pairs. So you will hear four more questions in next Tuesday's episode. And between now and then, you can reach out to us, connect with us on Instagram or in our Facebook community. Shoot us an email. Hello at themomhour.com. We'd love to hear from you. And Megan, this was fun. We'll talk to everybody next week. Talk to you soon. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring, just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November, and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know, I am fan number one of the teas made. It's got such a cozy vibe and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines and home and family life. Just look for the teas made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes.